Welcome to SCOTUScast, a project of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Our contributors join us from around the country to bring you expert commentary on U.S. Supreme Court cases as they are argued and decisions are issued. The Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. Thank you for joining us for this post-decision episode of SCOTUScast. I'm your host, Grace Gotchling. On April 23, 2020, in a 9-0 decision, the Supreme Court decided Romag Fasteners Incorporated versus Fossil Incorporated, holding that a plaintiff in a trademark infringement suit is not required to show that a defendant willfully infringed the plaintiff's trademark as a precondition to an award of profits. The decision, which vacated and remanded the opinion below from the Federal Circuit, was written by Justice Gorsuch on April 23, 2020. Justice Alito filed a concurring opinion in which Justices Breyer and Kagan joined. Justice Sotomayor filed an opinion concurring in the judgment. To discuss the case, we have Adam Mossoff, Professor of Law at the Anton Scalia Law School of George Mason University. Hello, my name is Adam Mossoff, and I'm delighted today to be providing an overview of the Supreme Court's recent decision in Romag Fasteners v. Fossil. I'm a law professor at Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University, where I specialize in intellectual property law, such as patents, trademarks, copyrights, and related fields. I'm also a senior fellow and chair of the Forum for Intellectual Property at the Hudson Institute, and I'm a member of the board of directors of the Center for Intellectual Property Understanding. As I mentioned, the Supreme Court recently handed down its decision in Roe Mag Fasteners in an opinion by Justice Gorsuch dated April 23, 2020. There were no dissents, and there were two concurrences, one filed by Justice Alito, which she was joined by Justices Breyer and Kagan, and another concurrence by Justice Sotomayor writing for herself. The background of the case is a relatively straightforward intellectual property dispute. Romag owns patents and trademarks on magnetic snap fasteners. Fossil is a well-known designer, marketer, and distributor of fashion accessories. In 2002, Romag and Fossil entered into an agreement in which Fossil was given permission by Romag to use its magnetic snap fasteners in some of its products. Several years later, Romag discovered that the Chinese manufacturers that Romag had hired to make its products were in fact using counterfeit Romag fasteners. And so it sued Fossil and other defendants in district court in Connecticut in 2010, alleging both patent infringement and trademark infringement. By 2014, Romag had won its claims for IP infringement, and it received an injunction. But the judge denied an award of Fossil's profits for the trademark infringement claim, given that the jury, although finding that Fossil had acted in, quote, callous disregard, unquote, of Romag's rights, had not acted willfully in its infringement. Now, the district court was applying settled Second Circuit precedent at that time that defendants' profits are not available as a remedy in a trademark infringement action under the provision of the Trademark Act that provides for remedies, Section 1117A, unless there is a finding of willful infringement by the defendant. Now, on appeal, the Federal Circuit, which was hearing the case under its pendant jurisdiction, given that Romag was also asserting patent infringement claims, the Federal Circuit applied Second Circuit precedent and affirmed the denial of an award of Fossil's profits from the sale of the infringing uh, products, given that the jury did not find it had acted willfully. 
Now, there has been a circuit split on this issue concerning the proper remedy under Section 1117A of the Lanham Act for a finding of trademark infringement on whether defendant's profits are available without a finding that the defendant acted willfully. And so the Supreme Court granted cert on this issue to resolve the circuit split. Now, as a general matter, the remedy section of the Lanham Act and the various judicial interpretations and applications of it over the many decades has been anything but pellucid. But this case presents a somewhat rather straightforward issue of statutory interpretation and application. In this case, the provision of Section 1117A, which governs the award of remedies on a finding of an infringement of a trademark. Now, in his opinion for the court, Justice Gorsuch applied classic and non-controversial canons of statutory construction in reaching the conclusion that a finding of willfulness is not a necessary precondition for awarding defendants profits under Section 1117A. Significantly, Section 1117A does provide that willfulness is a necessary predicate for an award of profits for a violation under another provision of the Lanham Act, Section 1125C, which governs dilution actions, which was added to the trademark statutes by Congress in 1999. But it does not limit the award of remedies, such as defendants' profits, under other provisions of the Lanham Act, such as 1125A, which is your standard trademark infringement for likelihood of confusion. Significantly, the statutory language uses an or in, in defining the scope of award of, de, of remedies under section 1125C, the dilution action, as distinguished in a separate clause from the language providing for the remedies available under standard trademark infringement actions under 1125A. Or, disjunctive, as we all learned in Schoolhouse Rock and Conjunction Function, this or that. In other words, there is no express statutory language requiring a finding of willfulness to award profits for an infringement of a trademark under 1125A, the statutory provision under which Fossil was in fact found to be liable to Romag in this case. But Justice Gorsuch doesn't limit his statutory interpretation to just the specific terms of the provision at issue. He also reads Section 1117A in the context of the entire statutory regime of which it is part. And he identifies numerous instances throughout the Lanham Act in which Congress has mandated findings of willfulness or imposed other similar scienter requirements for the award of remedies. For instance, in Section 1117D, Congress provided that profits or damages may be troubled if the defendant is found to have acted intentionally and with specific knowledge. Or Section 1117C, which increases the cap on statutory damages that may be awarded for willful violations. And there are numerous other instances where Congress recognized and limited the award of remedies or expanded remedies on the basis of scienter requirements. Therefore, Justice Gorsuch and the majority of the justices who joined with him in his opinion found that this was a relatively straightforward application of express statutory language where Congress did not limit the award of defendants' profits in the context of a, an infringement action under Section 1125A. Now, Fossil did have a statutory argument, as did the circuits like the Second Circuit that had in the past required a finding of willfulness in order to award defendants' profits under Section 1117A. <clears throat> and that is, the statute also provides that defendants' profits should be awarded, quote, subject to the principles of equity, unquote. Now, Fossil's argument 
and other circuits that had agreed with this argument was that equity requires a finding of willfulness in order to make an accounting for a restitutionary remedy such as defendant's profits. <clears throat> now, the, in the historical record of trademark cases in which defendant's profits have been awarded, courts have not always been of one mind on whether willfulness is a necessary prerequisite for this type of restitution. But it's very important to recognize that this is not a unique issue in trademark law. The award of defendant's profits is restitution, a classic remedy in equity. And before the merger of law and equity, restitution was applied as a general cause of action across all categories of law, whether well, we now identify as causes of action or originally historically identified as the common law writs. Now, since Congress expressly used general language in the Lanham Act, which it, in which it said defendants' profits could be awarded, quote, subject to the principles of equity, uh, unquote. It was thus invoking these general equitable principles. This is what Justice Gorsuch identifies in his opinion as transubstantive principles. Now, why is this important? Because willfulness is not a mandatory re- uh, prerequisite in many cases involving restitution in which a defendant's unjust enrichment is awarded to a plaintiff in lieu of a compensatory uh, award of damages to make someone whole again. Common examples in the property context involve mistaken improvements to land in which uh, restitution is made to the person for the uh, the increase in value or mistaken payments of money. Now, note, restitution, including defendant's profits, uh, an award that constitutes a restitutionary remedy, is common and, in fact, is in fact more well known in cases involving conscious wrongdoers, right? The, you know, the person who commits deliberate fraud and breaching a contract, the person who steals money and then commingles it with another asset like purchasing a house, <clears throat> excuse, and so on and so on. And this is why most people do tend to think of restitution as involving a mens rea requirement of willfulness. <clears throat> and in fact, when the defendant does in fact act wrongfully in this way and is in fact a conscious wrongdoer, right, equity has long used this as a further justification for granting restitution. In fact, sometimes in the context of a conscious wrongdoer, equity would permit a plaintiff to elect a remedy that maximized its total award. But as Justice Gorsuch rightly recognizes in his opinion, these are not the only types of cases in which restitutionary remedies are awarded that restitutionary remedies are awarded in broader set of cases, applying the transubstantive principles of equity in which mens rea requirements like willfulness are not mandated. <clears throat> in fact, awards of profits is an available remedy in many other intellectual property fields, such as copyright and patent law. In fact, in patent law, which is my specific area of focus, um, it was very common practice in the 19th century on a finding of an infringement of a valid patent and the grant of an injunction that a court would perfunctorily order also an accounting. Now, an accounting is a, is a remedy where a special master determines the defendant's profits for the purposes of disgorging those profits to be paid to the patent owner for the past acts of infringement. This was done at equity. And courts did not predicate these equitable remedies of awarding either the injunction or the accounting on a finding of willfulness. As I mentioned, it was a, typically a perfunctory uh, determination that an injunction would thus issue and also an accounting would be made. <clears throat> and I know this uh, because I have actually uh, read all of the patent decisions in the 19th century um, in which courts made these types of determinations. 
Now, in a concurrence by Justice Sotomayor in the Romag decision, she emphasized that in the trademark context, separate from the broader transubstantive principles of equity, that the, the pre-Animal Act cases um, were more mixed than she claimed that Justice Gorsuch was presenting in his opinion, and that courts usually did not award profits if the infringement was innocent. But she noted that the majority opinion did not go on to determine the exact boundary line between what might count as innocent infringement versus willful infringement, and thus she concurred in the decision. Justice Alito, filing also a concurrence, joined by Justice Breyer and Justice Kagan, he emphasized that willfulness is a, quote, highly important consideration in awarding profits under Section 1117A, but not an absolute precondition. I guess that he wanted to write his concurrence just to emphasize that willfulness was still an issue that sh- courts should take into account and should look at in determining this type of restitutionary remedy of an award of the defendant's profits. Now, at the end of the day, Romag is a fascinating case. First of all, it's fascinating because of the various lineup of the uh, of the concurrences. One just typically does not see Justice Alito writing in a separate opinion joined by Justice Breyer and Kagan. But as one normally sees in a lot of intellectual property cases, there tends to be this type of uh, of cross of the tip, uh, crossing of the typical divides between justices on the courts, um, <clears throat> because these issues that are raised in intellectual property cases don't typically touch on more fundamental questions that you see that drive the typical divisions in other constitutional law cases. But even more specifically, Romag is a fascinating case at the intersection of statutory interpretation, intellectual property law, and remedies law. In fact, these are uh, preeminent issues in IP fields like trademark, patent, and copyright, given their statutory foundations. In remedies issues, especially including the issues of injunctions and how damages are assessed and awarded, are also very prominent today. And so these disputes will certainly continue, and ROMAG will certainly be not the final word on this issue in trademark law or in any other area of IP law. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this overview and stay safe and stay healthy in this time of pandemics, shutdowns, and quarantines. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. SCOTUScast is a project of the Federalist Society, a not-for-profit educational organization of conservative and libertarian law students, law professors, and lawyers founded upon the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom, that the separation of governmental powers is central to our Constitution, and that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is, not what it should be. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast series, including SCOTUScast and Practice Group Podcasts, on iTunes or Google Play. For an archive of past podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at fedsoc.org slash multimedia. That's F-E-D-S-O-C dot org slash multimedia. This has been a FedSoc audio production. 